And welcome to Tones and Drums, an ambient music podcast produced in the studios of 91.3 KVLU. I'm Jason Miller, and on this episode of the program, a returning guest, composer and ambient musician Carlos Dingler returns to the program to talk about his 2023 release, Private Earth. It was great to have him back on the program and find out uh, some background on this latest release, as he continues to evolve his ambient sounds. Up next, my conversation with Carlos Stingler, here on Tones and Drones. Hello. Hey, Carlos. Yes. Yeah. How have you been? I've been good. Busy. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's a good thing. It you is. How have, how, have, how have things been? You know, I've been seeing that uh, you've had some really great people on your show. Yeah, the show's just been moving forward really well. I mean, it's uh, it hasn't been um, up to the week. I mean, it's been booked out for, for um, all last year. That's fantastic. I wanted to ask you, you know, coming back, coming back on the podcast and, and a, a new album, it's like, what, what was your, uh, what have you been experiencing being a composer of this, in this kind of galaxy of music since we've talked in, in, in the Aqueduct album? Mm -hmm. uh, it's been great. I, I have to say sometimes when you're hit with an epiphany, it can sometimes be, it can be like that sort of proverbial, uh, you know, pizza shop that you start, right? Like, you're like, I, I know what I now want to be. I want to be the owner of, of a pizza store. And then it just, <laughs> and then, you, and then you realize that it was just sort of like a fad in your own mind, you know, and then like two years later, you have to sell the, or like, you know, a, a vacation home or some, some fancy car that you think is going to like really, uh you know improve your life and add to your sense of yourself and so forth which uh you know and i'm only referring to commodities right now but uh this this can happen in so you know it can happen when people sort of take deep dives for like a year in a certain genre of music like they suddenly discover 
something. And, and exact, and in today's day and age, that actually happens so much more often because we have the technology to facilitate this kind of deep diving, which we didn't have before. Yeah. I, I am very, um, uh, excited to report that so far it doesn't seem like what happened with me in the pandemic, which I'm pretty sure in our last interview, I, I, uh, I mentioned was the sort of spur to this uh, this new kind of turn my music career has taken. Yeah, um, was not an example of that kind of sort of momentary or, or ephemeral, uh, you know, fancy that that transported me elsewhere. I have been discovering that this process just really um, is it just speaks to a part of me that no other process has been able to like, there's a, there's a type of relaxation that I can, ex and I mean, I don't, I don't think it's an accident that the music itself is relaxing, but, mm. but I would probably imagine that even if I were doing something more like, you know, attention getting like, you know, techno or something like that, if that had been what had called me, yeah, I'd still be relaxed into it. There's something about this, process of being in a in a really kind of um you know a space with a lot of gear in it and a lot of toys a lot of places to go thing you know you can look at your screen and see what the waveforms are doing then you everything gets repeated to you or replicated in your headphones or in your speakers there's just so it's such a world to kind of be inside of it and in many ways it's a virtual world yeah it is it's a virtual world that produces yeah. something that is very, very compelling for a lot of people for certain, you know, applications, either just to kick back and listen, smoke pot, which I've been doing a little bit more of these days, <laughs> I must admit. <laughs> um, and also, um, you know, uh, yoga, whatever it is, whatever, yeah. whatever, like form of whatever activity you decide to, to incorporate it. And that that's a compelling product for that. But you know, it, it makes me feel good to know that I'm not in just some sort of video game over here. Like I'm, things are happening, people are listening and the work is doing stuff. And I really couldn't ask for more than that, this process. You know, mentioning the the proverbial, you know, pizza shop or comic book shop as it was in my in my Oh uh, yes, world. comic book shop. Sure. You know, make the old comic book shop. Musically, I look at it and, 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 you know, and feel free to speak to this, but one of the things in music um, with, with this music um, that, that I've, I've found and I've heard people talk about and experience is like the dream in music that I, I'm going to be my own. Um, let's just say I'm going to be my own orchestra. Right. And it, it's different than, I'm going to be in a band situation. I'm going to overdub all the parts. I'm going to, I'm going to Dave Grohl, this first Foo Fighters album, play everything. Paul McCartney on Ram, right? Paul McCartney plays everything. I think on Ram or, or McCartney, one of those two, whatever, like one of those. <laughs> Is that right? Records. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He, his first one or two albums, it's him on all the instruments. Okay. But, but <clears throat> more, more than that, not just, I don't need, you know, an ensemble, um, I'm going to be an orchestra. I'm going to be, you know, all of these sounds that I hear, I'm going to be able to create all of them with this technology. And it's, it almost kind of speaks to like a musical, like dream to some people. 
Um, you know, and I, we might have touched on this before. Like now you have the way to make this, you know, whatever this 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 imaginary soundtrack or this soundscape or, you know, what, however you want to think of it, Carlos. But I just was interested in like you going through that process. You've got the gear and like now you're just you can do you can build this world. You If you hear this arrangement. You can create it essentially or as close as you can to what you hear in your head. Absolutely. We did touch a little bit on it um, in the previous interview. Um, and I think it's really the the main difference between, let's say, doing this and, say, classical music, um, which there is some overlap there. There is and, in there. And certainly with, like, the the technology, like, if you just go to SpitfireAudio.com, for example, like, which are, is the company that's sort of, like, the leading uh, orchestral sample library company which all of the the composers use you know the the level of like verisimilitude to the orchestra that we are able to accomplish today using this technology is true truly stunning yeah um i for me there's something that you will never i i mentioned i mentioned this in a tweet which i also put in my instagram before and actually helpling chimed in and said that he he really appreciated that so i gotta give him Give him a shout out. For uh, that. So David. Hey, David. Yeah. Hey, David. Just kind of, I don't like to break the wall, but let's break it for David Helpley. Hey, David. <laughs> <laughs> He'll appreciate. Can you put in an, an audience applause line, uh, like sound effect, a Foley effect? Yeah. Yeah. Underneath there. That. Yeah. Like the, we have an audience that's out there in front of yeah, us. Yeah. We're live in front of a studio audience here. Yeah. Make sure, like, make sure it like stops abruptly and awkwardly and unrealistically. So it's like. <laughs> I think we just both did it almost the same time. So that was a perfect cue on that. Let's cue just use the, that. <laughs> yeah, let's we'll, we'll pause for editing and then we'll place that in. And then, you know, and then, oh, we have some, oh, I see we have some David Helpling fans in the audience. Anyway. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I'm sure we do have some David Helpling fans. I think we do. <laughs> we, uh, yes, we do. Oh. And um, at least two here. Um, right. But he chimed in on it and said that it was a, it was an interesting observation. And the observation was that like, you know, if you're doing sample technology today where you're like literally attempting to uh, replicate an, a, um, a symphony orchestra, there's an element to that where the ear, I think, picks up the fact that it's not real. Like it, it's still, I mean, it's very close, but there's still, there are still limits. There's just, and or, you know what, even the fact that it is so real like sounds so convincing where you might yeah. be able to do a pepsi taste test and not be able to tell the difference mm -hmm. if you gave two examples let's say one real and one virtual nonetheless like the ear says oh this is an orchestra playing and not the composer whereas when you're doing stuff that's more obviously synthetic and even perhaps using samples from the 80s i mean in the 90s when you know sampling technology for the orchestra at least was nowhere near where where it is today yeah. um there's something about that the ear says oh that's not a real orchestra that's the composer speaking at this moment that's that's mm -hmm. uh that's the that's the individual that is in his or her uh space you know alone like Jean-Michel Jarre in Oxygen um I know it's oxygen. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. you know, I'm trying oh, to say. We know that record. Yeah, everybody knows that record out there. Everybody knows that record. It's, record. Uh -huh. You know, the, what makes that record compelling? Because in a way, you know, 
it's it's a kind of campy reproduction of an orchestral symphony you could say it's yeah. very easy to imagine a, a a symphony orchestra performing that entire album very easy because the the idiom is very or is just inherently orchestral the way that he's using his instruments to talk yeah and they don't sound like a real or orchestra nor should they but what makes it super compelling is the fact that you are always hearing that it's him Hmm. he's the one pressing the buttons he's the one turning the knobs it's not a conductor in front of a string section and so on and so forth so it adds a kind of intimacy to it i remember when i was sort of discovering all of this new work during the pandemic one of them is this sort of you could say it's an old-fashioned track because it sounds sort of kind of 80s um but it's this track called coba from patrick o'hearn in his album uh, I can't remember the one that came out in the very early 90s. And the the cover looks like it's from like 4 AD. It has a very 4 AD feel, but it's not on 4 AD. Um, uh, it'll come to me later. But it's one of his one of his first of that sort of era where his work really started to get super elevated. Um, and the track is just just such an incredible track i think it it's just such an exemplar of of like the power of this genre to accomplish so much with so little means it's just sort of a a moog baseline that isn't even doing anything it's just whole notes <laughs> all synthetic drums behind it very you know another like unison string line not much har har not much harmonizing happening but just the song is so well written it's 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 just one of my favorites um i was listening to that track once and i said wow you know right now i have all every sound that i'm hearing right now it's all in my hard drive right now like right now if i knew <laughs> how to replicate this track which i don't but i'm if i did i could do it you could i yeah. could yeah and the thing that came to my mind at that moment was oh this is within reach hmm and okay. that compelled me. I said, oh, I have everything I need now to express myself. And I'm interested in what forms of expression can come up about from that. And this is, like I said before, in contrast to classical music, where there's a lot of mediation. You have to like, you know, print the score. You have to find the players. You have to, uh, you know... Um, there's union uh, stuff going there's on. Union stuff. There's yeah. all of these. Uh, that's yeah. and that's what makes that art form compelling because it's essentially a live event. Yeah. But yeah, that was something that I stopped. I used to be interested in that, and I stopped being at that moment when I was listening to Koba. I I stopped being interested in that and started being interested in forms of expression that could be accomplished solely, basically for now at least, from my bedroom. Yeah. Albums Indigo. 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 Thank you. Yes, Indigo. That's correct. The uh well that you know, I recently was listening to an interview with uh with Vangelis. I always felt the same way with his music because he was he had the orchestra around him and the, the instruments he was synthesizing sound synthesized, but wow, what what epic scope uh from the electronics and you 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 know it's him. It's nobody conducting mm -hmm. that. It's it's Vangelis behind the music, right? You know, just just as oh my God, I thought, you were, you. I thought you said Ben Jealous, and I was like, "Who is Ben Jealous? <laughs> Who is Ben Jealous? Who's wait, Ben Jealous? All right, I gotta look this guy up. Who was he in? 
And then you said Vangelis. I said, oh, that's he's saying Vangelis. Absolutely. You are one. That's another guy that could do that. You know, that's, like you that's said, probably the best you know? example. I mean, in I think with Vangelis and with uh, Jure, the difference between them, let's say, and O'Hearn is that, you know, there's something to be said about the way that they use the orchestra as sort of like a point of departure for their own compositions. Yeah. I feel like O'Hearn's innovation is that he did away with any pretense towards orchestral uh, inspiration. And it's probably due to the fact that he comes from jazz. I think he approaches his music from a jazz standpoint. And that's also why so much of it is so vibey. It is so like rhythmically pleasing um, because I think he's coming much more from a, uh, from a jazz background. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, whatever informs the music is is can be felt in it. I mean, we see a lot of people that have come to the music from a lot of different areas. I mean, from prog rock to straight up rock to jazz to classical. I mean, you name it, it's just gone through all these different backgrounds of people that, that go in there. I now, think the genre know, I mean, is criticized for that. I think it's sort of a lot of people say, oh, that proves that it's just a commodity confection dreamt mm -hmm. up by record labels and so on and so forth, which used to be the cla the the uh, the the um, classic yeah. critique of New Age. Was sure. It's a non-genre because it's really just a bunch of people from all these different genres sort of like copying what record label execs in the 80s told them to do. Yeah. But. I actually don't see it that way. I see it as more like a type of genre that is capacious enough to incorporate all of these influences in really substantive ways from all across different genres. So it's a, a syn I would call it it's a syncretic genre. Mm, yeah, I, I you know that that's it. I, I like that point that you make because there's an upcoming episode of this where I'm speaking with a, a piano player. It's a great episode, and um, we're talking about. Uh, someone that, that that's playing instrumental music on the piano with a classical background, neoclassical. What does that, what does neoclassical mean? Okay. To you, it's like taking, it's like almost like if you have a straight line of the timeline, right. And you've got the classical era that you want, like Bach and their melodic inventions. And what you do is, is that you make a big skip over everything else and you land where you land and you bring the flow like Bach and them had strict meters you don't have strict meters. They didn't have the same touch of the piano that you do, but you're definitely informed by their by their form and by their melodicism. And so it, I found that interesting to me because like when you had mentioned that, that it like, how is that filtered their influences? Well, it's like they find it and then it just kind of goes almost directly to them and it kind of skips some other things, you know, in time. And, and I don't know, it was just an interesting way I, I'd never thought about like instru new instrumental um, uh, 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 ambient meditation, new age piano. I just didn't think about hmm. it that way before. Who's the artist? If you uh, uh, sure, it's Ann Sweeten. And you know Ann? Yeah. No, not not yet. Uh, her her uh, sh her new album is produced by Will Ackerman and Tom Eaton, and they play on it. Oh, that's great. Well, I will definitely. When's it coming out? Uh, it's out June sixth, and she's oh, got a, a body same of work as, too. As this one. Yeah, they are both out on the same day. Same day. Oh, that's great because my album came out on the my Aqueduct Aqueduct album came out on the same day that In by Helpling came out on. Oh, really? Cool. And now I've got another one coming out on the same time as another one of your guests. This is so fantastic. Yeah, the synergy there and, and yeah. that. So on the new album, um, 
like what were some things that you were searching for? I mean, I noticed some kind of darker tones and stuff like that. Really? But but I, I, you know, I look in colors sometimes when I when I listen to the albums. I don't have I can't see colors with music, but it's like there's something with the shifts of the music that go from light to medium to gray to light to dark. You know, I don't know. I think it's it's just the way I've listened to this music. And I've tried to kind of over the years kind of break myself out of that and open it up more because I don't want it to be so much, you know, what is dark ambient or what is light or what is drone, you know, because it's all working together and uh, in, in that place. And, you know, one of the things I find fascinating is that somebody will recommend an album and um, and they'll say, you know, this is one that, you know, has like a, a quality of meditation to it. And I listen to it and I'm like, wow, it sounds pretty sinister. Hmm. But that's okay. That's okay. But I'm saying it's interesting that somebody else listens to it in a different way. That's what I find really fascinating about it. It it, it defies, you know, now it defies like something being maybe very calculated to be um, very light and very easy, mm -hmm. very meditative, you know, very spa music, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I think Aqueduct is probably more in the spa category than private earth um yeah i think first of all let me think two three yes three of the tracks were were written and recorded and almost entirely mixed um um during the aqueduct period when i was oh composing. okay in fact uh all right. Those songs came to be, and then I said, "You know what? This is not fitting with the statement that I'm with what I'm feeling right now." Okay. And these other tracks that I'm working on are so. Let me just put these on hold for now and just focus on these new tracks here. And then, and I'm glad I did that because, so for example, in Caverna, which is the first track on Aqueduct, we have uh, some flute there from. Um, my buddy uh, Keith Bonner, who who I collaborate with, um, uh, he plays the flute. So that performance of Caverna was a uh, an improvisation that we did just to warm up. Okay, you know, it was not like a song that had been thought of in advance. But I ended up saying, no, no, this this is actually better for what I'm doing right now. Um, and this other stuff that we worked on, which now appears on Private Earth, the uh, Violet Night. Uh, what's another one um, that that is from that time? Um, Ancient Lake. Those two tracks that are on uh, Private Earth, which were recorded during the same day that he recorded the Caverna improvisation. Those ended up just being for me something that I felt would be much more appropriate for the future. I said, oh, wait, no, these performances and these tracks that I'm working on are just not going to work with this. But this Caverna improvisation will so why don't i just lead with that too and i told him i said hey you know the stuff that <laughs> that we worked so <laughs> diligently on is going to take a while to come out because first i want to do this i mean obviously he was fine with that and then i actually had him come in again for solemn cavern which is a the sort of re the darkest piece on the record and and uh and and probably the most ambient it sort of just has a droney piano on it plus flute and some quote-unquote cavernous uh sound effects on there and so i had him come in for one more but that was recent so that was actually part of okay the private earth sessions if you will um <laughs> sure uh 
and actually also golden dawn which is the single and yeah uh, uh the final track rising mountain those also were kind of not really in the other tracks from the aqueduct era those were intentional but the those two they were not they were um kind of accidental in a way they kind of i think i was just recording other stuff and then randomly had an idea and i said oh let me just put that down and and then i listened back to it and i said i think there's something here but i don't know and then i just sort of put it off to the side and then i realized no there i can really develop this so and it happened to fit with private earth so with private earth it's it's weird i really feel like there's a story there from track one to track six which is sort of how i tend to to sequence my records okay um there, there's definitely i think what i like and that's sort of the prog rocker in me like if you listen to a really great yes album or like a really great <laughs> king crimson record or it, it it's such an experience you you put it on it's like listening to a symphony you you just kick back and you have to wait an hour to hear everything or moody blues everything that goes like that okay you don't just yeah. shuffle through that album you, you don't put shuffle on that you have to listen to it in, in the way that the sequentialized format that the artist intended it to because that's that's the statement um i sort of emulate or have been emulating uh that that idea of making sure that that the the order of the tracks is there so i think private earth that's sort of like the prog rock aspect of of private earth more okay. so than, than with aqueduct that there's a story being told it's kind of live acoustic yeah. big big long tracks you know aqueduct yeah. nine tracks this one has six but they kind of are the same yeah so so that was happening but in terms of the actual material it was sort of all over the place actually okay yeah it well you know it's um the acoustic guitars and I, I know you know we've you can talk about like the the acoustic instruments going you already mentioned the flute and like the the potential for the acoustic to 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 be in there with the electronic is something yeah. that has infinite oh, yeah. infinite possibilities. Absolutely. So on private earth, what do you have to say to, to that aspect of it? Because again, there's so much that can be done done with acoustic instruments. Yeah, it's weird the pattern that I'm I'm going through with my releases because in between Aqueduct and um um private earth there was this ep that i released called ecosphere yeah, ecospheres yeah and i just you know wanted to put that out i didn't really want to 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 do any interviews around it or or to to make a big to do about it i just wanted to upload it onto the platforms and then and make a couple mentions of it and then just see what playlists it could get into but not not the level sure. of like sort of you know campaigning for lack of a better word that you know i was doing with aqueduct and i'm doing with private earth right now and those that record I would say that in terms of that like relationship between electro acoustic, like that was much more on the electro. I, I there are barely any acoustic elements in it. It's basically all in the box, and it's just uh, a straightforwardly old school style ambient record. Um, and I'm also now composing another album that is very much like that. It's very much a another ambient album that's basically all in the box which i will not kind of publicize too greatly in the same way that i didn't publicize ecospheres the the aqueduct record and definitely definitely private earth without a shadow of a doubt 
are lean much more on the acoustic side of that uh, relationship. Yeah. It's just interesting. I, I wonder what's behind that, that when, hmm. when I put forward a work that is leaning into the acoustic part, right. I feel like, I think what it is, is that the acoustic elements make me compose music that is much more songwriting oriented. And I feel that there's maybe, maybe a kind of pop sensibility behind that, that then induces me to kind of go out and talk about it and say, okay, here's this statement that I made, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe that's what's behind it. I'm not entirely sure, but certainly for now, just speaking about private earth, I think it really heavily leans on the acoustic element there. I think it is front and center from the moment yeah. you start listening to it on that first track, basically to the end. Uh, it's leans pretty heavily on, on having one or two in, acoustic elements recorded in the forefront and the, all of the synth synthesizers kind of take a backseat. The um, you know, the first single you released, Golden Dawn, you released a, a video with it. Yeah, you know, and and um, had had you paired a video with anything before? Yes, the um, not to this, not to the level that we that I because I actually worked with an animator for for Golden Dawn. For Golden Dawn, yeah, okay. And Mary Hawkins, she was she was really amazing. I mean, the textures that she created, yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, there's something else. I'm telling you that world that it's walking through. It's I, like some it's some kind of uh, I don't know. It's just this fantasy lush. Totally. I mean, people just oh. need to go watch it. We can sit there and talk about it, but it's just, just walk through this fantasy landscape of Absolutely. a Bob Ross dream mixed it's with, a, I mean. It's like a Bob I Ross mean, painting in motion. Yeah. It's like a Bob Ross painting in motion melded through a fantasy world of Tolkien. I mean, I don't know. It's yeah. just got a lot going it's on. It's got a little there. bit of Tolkien and yeah. a little bit of THC too, I think. Yeah, a little <laughs> THC in there too. A little bit of, there's some other initials for JRR. Well, <laughs> But you uh, know, people will find it, but I'm just saying, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I talk about it. I just, it's, it's really, it's cool. It's a very cool video. Very, very nice work. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I'm very, very happy with it. And there was a video for, um, there were two videos for Aqueduct. I don't know that I'll do two for this one, but there were two for Aqueduct, one for Caverna, which was the second one, but the first one was, um, New Cambria. Okay. And in both, I was just, it was just footage that, that I found, um, in, on my backpacking adventures. Um, and it was, you know, I, I can do some editing and manipulation and I, I, I liked it, but, uh, you know, had it somewhat more of a documentary feel, yeah. but, uh, this one I felt, mm, I think this track deserves a real, you know, starting from scratch kind of animation composition. I was working with Mary already because she did this series of tiny one minute long or th really 30 second long loops of animation which she called uh, love letters to the subway each it's kind of like they're kind of like gifs each gif uh or is it gif i don't know um i always said i always said gif gif yeah i think it's gif i think it's gif <laughs> let's go with there's GIF. still parts of the internet carlos that i'm just like know. Oh, what what is that totally thing? totally totally <laughs> some people i interact with who are throwing the acronyms at me and i'm just like uh i'm sorry i'm such a gen x yeah, old fogey, but I don't know what T M R Z F J <laughs> means. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm just like I don't know. Maybe I'll just, you know, I could, you could just say, you know, I think I really have an the auto tracking on right now, and it'll take care. I mean, just throw some 
throw some old video terms. You know, I've got, uh, I have the uh, time-based corrector. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna do some color correction. I'm gonna mess with the V-hold, you know, just kind of throw V-hold. some of those at them and then let them just kind of work into the world of analog for a minute. Let's just throw them, you know, just throw them. Yes, like, you exactly. Know. Revenge or like, yeah. that's our defense. <laughs> exactly. You know, I just put some scotch tape over the top of my cassette because I was going to tape over it because I don't really, I don't need to listen to this uh, album or- anymore. I've listened to it enough. I need a cassette right now. So I'm going to go ahead and tape over Use Your Illusion, Lose Your, Use Your Illusion <laughs> right now. But <laughs> Or here's my handwritten note. Good luck reading it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, remember I'm sorry. handwriting? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sorry. You want me to cut and paste it? I, I wrote it all out. Here you go. Exactly. Here you go. Have fun. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I don't know. It's like that could counter, you know, I feel like maybe I can yeah. counter that, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. How did we get? Well, there were gifts. They were gifts. gifts. They were the video. Thank you. I totally forgot. Yes. The gift that. Gifts. The gift that that gifts the gift that keeps on gifting, 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 yeah. and and these were gifts, but like the highest quality gifts you've ever seen in your life. They were yeah. these beautiful, just thirty second loops. In fact, most of them, I would say, the loop, the actual video loop, was a ten second loop of a subway letter. One of the subways, just like Z or six train or whatever just spinning or doing, you know, some form of animation to it. And I scored each one. Um, you can go to her Instagram profile to see the whole sequence of it. it. It was part of an initiative that's called 36 days of type. I believe it's 36 mm-hmm. um, or 26 days of type or something where, uh, you know, people who are really into fonts, they hashtag their creations um, and then just to 36 days of type. And then, so if you're an aficionado of this sort of thing, you can just sort of see what a whole bunch of people are doing, you know, with fonts during the 36 days of type. So that's what her, but her contribution was this rather maximalist contribution with videos, animation, and then this score that I, that I did for, for each one. So each one was like a 30 second or one minute long score to, to her animation. So you can go to her Instagram profile. I believe it's Mary likes postcards that's the instagram uh tag and um i think i'll also be putting it up on my website but it was just such a great uh collaboration it just made a lot of sense for her to then jump on and do golden dawn yeah she actually painted those trees that are in it wow um, in the middle and then just shot them and then animated them she also used something called caustics which i didn't know worth i didn't know what caustics were Apparently, it's the sort of reproduction of reflective light that needs to actually be filmed. So she filmed light behavior through prisms on her wall and stuff. And so a lot of the kind of fairy dust that you see sort of trickling in and out of the video, that's all actually live videotaped caustics, if you will. Caustics. Um, And then she used a lot of my photography and bended it and animated it, which just, I think, looks rather lovely. So I'm, I'm... infinitely pleased with uh with the uh, with the product and i hope people enjoy it as much as uh, as much as i do Thank you.
I've noticed the synergy between your between you. I think we between your 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 album covers too. You know that there you have. I, I mean, I I see it kind of a connection between that and and uh, and and I, that that's something I don't know that I guess maybe we grew up with different record labels that had the different like the, like the same aesthetic. Like you mentioned, four eighty. You know, like they had a four eighty style. They weren't all the same. You know, Wyndham Hill the had house style. That, the house style. Yeah. Yeah, and, Will Ackerman. Then, we can thank Will Ackerman um, sure. for that aesthetic. I mean, he basically exactly. Yeah, exactly. He did I, it. I, it in. I read an essay on on New Age once, like an academic essay, critiquing what it means to have that white border around. Mm. There's something about the. I can't remember exactly what the point was, but there there is some kind of contextualization that happens when you put an, a beautiful image surrounded by a white border and you have the the this the title album title and the artist name up above i don't i don't exactly remember what it is but obviously there are countless examples of this aesthetic all over the place and i think for a very good reason there's just something really really effective about it all of this rather um obscure artist by the name of ufoy i think that's how you pronounce it he was in he's he's unfortunately he's passed uh he died rather young and um he was an italian um um composer who was kind of closely associated with alio die you know that um that composer of no. organic soundtracks no mm-hmm. oh my god listen to alio die it's just alio die alio alio yeah it's, lots of people mispronounce it as alio die because it's just die yeah it's latin alio die He's he has forty albums. He's been going since the late nineties, nonstop, and all of his music wow. is just super, so. He, he uses a lot of raga, like mm-hmm. the scales, the Indian scales, and his compatriot Ufoy um, was also another Italian composer who was doing similarly organic, mis- really, really beautiful, mysterious, understated work. All of Ufoy's records are with that white border. So when you look at his catalog, it's just a sea of little squares within white borders um and it's just very pleasing to the eye there's something yeah about it it's like going through a library it just feels like you're in a world you're being i don't know there's just something about it i don't know <laughs> how long i'll be sticking with this aesthetic but yeah uh, for I, now I, you know it's it seems to be working well, it puts it i mean it frames it i mean yeah I mean, it frames it. I mean, people obviously spend sometimes, sometimes a lot of time, how they're going to frame something, how they're going to frame something on the wall, you know, what looks good with it. Does it take a white frame? Does it need a gold? Does it need a silver? Does it need a black? And that something about that has to draw out the art. You know, I don't understand that, but I've, I've been around galleries enough where I've, I've heard curators talk about how it needs to be framed and maybe there's something to yeah, that you appeal, want, you know. That's a good point. I didn't really think about that because you yeah. don't want to put like a painting without a frame on your wall, even if let's say you could be assured that it would be protected and whatever it is, other utility of the frame has. You still yeah. wouldn't want it because you'd feel like you wouldn't be able to engage with it. Just yeah. wouldn't look right. It wouldn't, wouldn't look seem right. like the right experience. So yeah, maybe there's something to that. What's what's off about it? Well, it's not framed. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know to it now. Now, looking into like looking into the music, I, I you know, I wanted to ask you, like we've talked about Golden Dawn, like yeah. what are some kind of song memories that you have about this that you'd like to talk about from, from about the, the single about Golden about Dawn? um well about the any song, any song on there. 
you know i mean um any song on there i mean it's like it's kind of like i ask that question usually because it's like i know that the answer could be any different song anytime you would ask it like well what's a song what's a song on there that comes to mind right now in the creation but like what kind which one kind of comes to you you know at, at the time i think the one i'm most proud of and it's my longest track to date is the opening track uh desert flora and I've uh, backpacked through two deserts, both of which have left a really, really, I think maybe more than two, I'm trying to think, other desert type landscapes, but two two very memorable excursions into the desert, one in Canyonlands and one in Death Valley. And there's just something about that landscape that, I mean, there's just something so spiritual about it that that I can't, I don't, it's difficult for me to describe um you know what what it draws out of you and i think it clearly inspired there and i call it desert flora because really to me when you look at a like a scrap uh, scrub grass or whatever i'm so terrible with uh with foliage names crab grass if you really look at the desert flowers the way these plants have to survive out there it's just when you take some time to just look just vascularly what they're doing it's incredible i mean they're the 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 way that they have to get water and light and survive out there is it just it you can feel it in the way that they that they um feel like to your fingertips right that i don't know to me just speaks to me of the desert and it really inspired the 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 sort of spiritual progression of that track
In many ways, use that track to sort of teach me how to play the fretless bass guitar. Oh, cool. So it's pretty, it's pretty prominent in there. Mm -hmm. I know that the fretless bass is not. It certainly has been an acquired taste for me. I I wasn't always into the fretless bass, and when people tell me today is like they don't really can they can't get on board that sound. I totally get it. It's a very, very particular sound, but I have fallen in love with it, and. Um, yeah. It's yeah. such an express expressive instrument and uh, and so unique, and um, so I, I really wanted to effectively use it. So I taught, I used, you know, many ways. The track was teaching me how to how to get that kind of tone, um, and I wanted to use it as sort of like a lead instrument, but also as like an actual bass backing. It's the only bass, you know, instrument in the on the track. I also, it took me a long time, not just to like record and 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 mix and sort of construct the track but just even to this there's only i'm trying to think there's two there there's only like two or three real chord changes in it and it's just from d minor to a minor hmm. and i swear i moved the top the point where that transition happens so many times and it was starting to really terrorize me in a way because I said, I just would move it over one measure. And I was like, no, that's not, that doesn't feel right. And then I would move it two measures in advance. <clears throat> no. And it would take a while to, to, to kind of see through it. And finally, and, you know, so sometimes even just the decision from moving to a D minor, to an A minor chord from a D minor chord or vice versa is itself, you know, it, you know it's it's such a basic chord progression <laughs> there's just, there's there's one note that changes <laughs> yeah but but i feel that where i have it right now it truly is 
there is no other spot for that change. And and it, the whole anchor of the whole piece pivots around that transition. Um, and it took, it was a struggle for me to just get to just pick the perfect spot. It was sort of like constructing a screenplay. Like when is the hero going to discover the, you know, uh, um, What's what you call the the sword the uh, not Excalibur but the um, the Holy Grail? Yeah, the Holy Grail. Yeah. Sure. What moment do we get thing? to that point? We ha- it has to be at the just the right yeah. moment, right? Yeah. So it was something like that. I'm very proud of that that track. It's an incredibly epic piece, and I feel that every single moment of it leads inexorably to the conclusion. Um, and um, I I hope that uh, other people will be able to sort of sit back with it for from start to finish all 13 minutes of it and just be able to sort of feel a spiritual progression happening through it through it and it's amazing it's amazing you know you can you can how you can take harmony and when you're working in in this other compositional way how you can take harmony sometimes a simple harmony movement and do so much more with it it's pretty it's pretty incredible you know when you think about that you know, absolutely. And especially know. if you're just doing with, dro- if you're just doing drones, yeah. one, all you need is one or two changes, you know, yeah. you, and it can express worlds. Yeah. Express worlds. Yeah. It's, it's the way, yeah. I, I, you, you kind of, you start utilizing thinking about some, well, I find myself thinking about intervals more like, like actual, mm-hmm. the old, the old, just the old intervals that we know in, in music from what, from the root note to whatever, thinking about them more and, and what the drone sounds like with them or what the third sounds like against the ninth and stuff. Anyway, it's just an interesting way of, of, of hearing music, you know, it's or, a complete credit. for a classical guy like me. Um, it's, it's such a, you, you just have to put on such a different thinking cap, you know, yeah. to, to really, yeah. You can't, you know, if you were a real classical music snob, you would say, you know, let's say the kind that can't take people like Philip Glass seriously, let's say, yeah. uh, which of which there are some people, um, you know, you want this level of sophistication and mo- modulation, you know, sort of key modulation, key signature modulation that you hear in Beethoven and all of Mahler and stuff. That's the level of that's what you think classical music is supposed to be doing. Philip Glass says, no, I'm going to stay on one chord the entire time and just move around and have rhythmic complexity. I'm not going to have any kind of key signature complexity. This is, and then you've got Terry Riley in C, right? So he literally stating it immediately, like, don't come here for any signature because it's all in C and everybody's in C in the most basic key signature imaginable too. all white keys. Yeah, exactly. All white keys for free. You know, it's uh, I, I, I had a, a, a dear late friend of mine and we, we were, I was playing some music from him by a, by a, by a group and there's a um, Afro Cuban group and, and a major jazz guy. And uh, it was the same thing. It's like, well, there's just two chords there because a lot of mambo and, Orchestra Bayabob, there's just two chords or one chord, but the rhythmic variation and the improvised solos and the melodic melodies over that one or two chords, like it, it's all there. Like it, you, you ignore it. You don't think, oh man, this is really not moving harmonically very much, you know, and, and it was, but it's a similar kind of thing, you know, a lot of rhythm stuff going on, but that music tends to have just one or two chords and just sit on one chord for a long time. That's all they need. You know- 
you really give yourself away when you're that person that says, oh, well, real classical music does all of this sort of stuff. You're you're sort of giving away a certain elitism, in my opinion, about yeah. what the proper role of music is. I think if you listen to NC, in order to, to appreciate that uh, that piece in the way that it was intended to be appreciated, which to me, I feel utterly is totally consonant with a classical music experience. Yeah. But cannot be traditionally in that sense of sort of going on this journey with a composer. It's actually a transcendent state. It's, it's more of a mm -hmm. trance that you're put into. So that technique I think is very difficult. I think it's just as hard to compose a track that effectively puts you in a trance as it's as it is difficult to um compose the most sophisticated sort mm. of tone poem from the era of Mahler that goes through five million different key key changes in this very expert way I mean that is also incredibly difficult it is but you can't then just say oh because you know about all of that you know you know harmony that to that extent that then you could easily do with, let's say, you know, Klaus Wiese. Do you know who he is? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, all of his records are literally a drone. Yeah. It's drone. I drone. mean, he has one track where I think almost literally nothing happens. It's just <laughs> one long bass note held for 20 minutes. And it's amazing. Yeah. Listen to those know. overtones. How? Yeah. I, it's all about investigating overtones and harmonics yeah. within the tone. I don't know how somebody is so tuned in that they can just do nothing and have it be something so big, but he does it. Yeah. So you can't just be Klaus Wiese if you are, you know, Mahler. You can't just say, well, since I know Mahler, I can do that. No, 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 no. It's a whole separate form of expression with its own, like, complexity within it's just an utterly different language yeah under a different language you know time well I mean, well it's like i i i remember well you know it's uh the, the inducing the trance and in, in music you're you're right you know i mean it's been studied you know i've heard i've read the thing that at the musicologists say that you know the track needs to go past 10 minutes you know they they'd record they'd gone to african drumming circles before yo-yo ma has a story about being in a trance situation that i read where he was in a uh he was in africa and they were drumming and he felt that feeling and you know and 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 but that study of that 10 minute mark you know i mean it's not mm. a, a, it's not like a definitive but you know and but the repetition once it gets to that point something happens in the brain the brain's able to engage into the music in a, a trance type state uh the musicians themselves don't have to necessarily be in a trance by the music or on something that causes them to be in a trance it's probably better if they're not because they're creating music for people to get there from the music it's a it's a fascinating world it's a fascinating part of music that that terry riley has obviously explored and many others and um and it's it's really incredible. And you're right. You're right. It's a great comp just because just because, you know, this said other type of composer has more complexity doesn't mean you can do this, the the more minimal versus the opposite of it. You know, it's it's really it's a fascinating thing to think about and to when you're especially when you're listening to it, kind of don't think about it too much, but just kind of let yourself drift while you're listening to NC. People are going to listen to NC now. They're going to go find the version of nc I, I remember listening to nc there are i i heard nc in a recital at university and it was on the friday morning recital they did nc 
And uh, I walked away um, from it with a friend of mine who um, was so aggravated that people were complaining about it. He loved modern music and he was just, you know, and he was just, I can't believe it. The, and I remember it being can't a pretty, what? What, what was, that, that people was... were complaining about it. Oh, why? What's that? That wasn't a song. What was that thing? Oh. You know what I mean? Looking into that yeah. more thing, he was like going, I can't believe this. I, I'm oh, small minded, you know? And, and uh, I remember that to this day because I remember listening to it and being fascinated by it. Like just being like, wow, this is a different day. That's not art songs or someone playing, you know, their horn with the piano i mean this is a different day here they're in the round and they've got you know this is different i knew this is something different and uh and and uh and who is this guy what do you do you can't explore it but i understand that because he was expressing people not getting it just like anybody else philip glass uh, the stravinsky you know the outrage of stravinsky i always find that just so hilarious they're just so mad at right of spring we just got to get out of here and throw Can stuff at it it being in a Paris opera house in 1912 or whenever the piece was premiered and fist fights breaking yeah. amongst these burgers, you know, like, yeah. what, how is that? You, you really truly had to have ex, um, exploded something in Western civilization. That was like an alien visitation or something where yeah, someone had kind of gone forward 20 years, brought back what they discovered and the, <laughs> the people could not mentally process it. So violence broke out. Broke out. Yeah, exactly. We can't handle this. Bob Dylan went electric. We're so mad. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was like Bob Dylan going electric. Exactly. I, 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 I still that came up in a conversation a while back. And I don't I, 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 I don't I can't say if it was it was if it's documented, but Pete Seeger with the axe to cut the, the cord. You know, maybe he should have the metal and the cable. Was that safe? But that image of him being so mad, got an axe. I'm going to cut that cable to that guy. What has he done to us? And yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah, that's a good way to do that. I didn't, I didn't know about that. There's a story that floats around that he wanted to find something to cut the cable and shut him down at the Newport Folk Festival. They got to stop this, this insanity. This insanity. (laughs) What are we going to do? Are we going to get mad at AI music? Oh, that AI Beatles. I'm so mad. I, I oh, think man. Oh, I know. Oh, we're going there. Oh, I know. No, no we're not going to go there, Carlos. Oh, let's geez. talk about let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about uh, no, we're not going to go there. Um <laughs> uh, one day we'll come into that as yes, it goes. One day let's about, let's schedule a separate interview that's just an all AI interview. Let okay. me tell you something. I I don't think it's possible to make ambient music with and I think the composers some have voiced their opinion that it would never be what they do. So I appreciate that. But um let's go into just the solemn let's go into a solemn cavern for a moment um it's great song a beautiful song i i i I like music i like cavern music okay i like music where people are evoking something of the underground i i find that um that uh inspiration or whatever you want to call it really fascinating i i love visiting caverns personally i've visited several oh yeah Uh, here in texas has a lot of them we have like seven or something tourist ones but Mm. anyway um let's talk about that song a little bit and kind of kind of go into the uh the cavern if you will yeah um that one it's interesting i think what's really to me um notable about this release private earth is that the way that all the tracks kind of came together each one has its own very unique story and somehow i feel like i hope at least uh i'm making the um 
this, the, the inclusion of them under the same title work and be justified, mm. despite the fact that they're really all coming from very different places. The unique story behind Solemn Cavern was that basically I ha- it's the latest uh, track on there in terms of being written. And I had I had the whole album except that one slot assembled. Mm. It was sort of missing something. I kept trying to to compose a piece for that slot, the fifth track before, because I'd already kind of created the story of the of the album by right. sequencing it from Desert Flora sure. to Violet Night to Golden Dawn to Ancient Lake, and then I leap over to Rising Mountain for the for the ending, mm. and then I'm saying, oh, but yeah, I can't just go right to Rising Mountain from from uh, Ancient Lake. It needs just one more interceding track. For the story to that now did you have a number of track it do you ever have a number of track in mind that's a goal a just quick question do you ever like not, an, like have a number or not well i tend to write in like 10 minute increments like my tracks tend to be like the on average yeah. they come out to around 10 10 minutes or i mean like songs per album like how many songs you want to do your yeah. story's going to be told in do you do you like to pull an album a number do you, my story's going to be told in in five songs or six songs or or something like that I think yeah. by the time by the time of the third track kind of materializes, it's all the story, the the limits of what kind of story can be told in this uh album already starts to take shape. I mean, I would say that if I had, let's say, three 10-minute long tracks already composed, yeah. I really doubt that I would then compose a whole bunch of three-minute long tracks to fill out mm. the album. That right. I don't really like that as an aesthetic. Right. I like the balance of each track being just as just about as heavy i want it i want you to be able to sort of hold up each track like it's the same kind of weight you know you're you're lifting a vase that like weighs the same i don't want you to then approach like a giant size vase and then go and like pick up a, a finger size vase you know like I yeah, want sure. a miniature vase or something no yeah. i want each vase i want it to be like a panel of six vases that you know each are basically the same size and shape but they're just different in these really um, important ways. So you uh, had to bridge that gap. So you have to. I bridge, had to bridge. You had to. It was the missing it. vase. Like there was like the right. pe- pedestal. Right. It was sort of like curated. Like if you think about like curating a, a gallery, like we had that. Ooh, look at this final piece! But oh, it's not working to just kind of go to it. It needs one more moment for the viewer to, or in this case, the listener to to just sort of sit somewhere else. And what it turned out was that that slot needed to be as dark as possible because I wanted the light of Rising Mountain to kind of come out of the darkness there. So I was trying to write this very meditative piece and I just kept kept failing at it. And then one day I was just in front of the piano and that piano line just sort of came out of nowhere. And I said, oh, wait, I think this is it. So I quickly put it down uh, on, uh, on my computer. And then I actually pulled up the a flute sample um from my vienna symphonic library or whatever and just i I think if i i'm I'm, if i'm not mistaken i basically hit record on the piano and the first like improvisatory run just playing with my right hand on the midi keyboard with but using the flute sample was the melody that you hear oh Wow. And so then I just transcribed it to paper and sent it to Keith. And then he came in and just and did an actually much more inspired version of my uh, 
my melody um and uh, much more expertly uh obviously uh accomplished um but it was something that kind of came out of just a quick improvisatory run uh on my right hand and then i just started also um searching through textures like electronic text electronic sample library check textures so that long well sort of long outro where just all these sort of washes of darkness kind of envelop that was also all coming out of just experimentation with with different sample libraries i really like it it come it came out it's probably like the most classical sounding piece mm -hmm. on the on the record mm -hmm. um but uh, you know, it's there because there was a real need for it to be there. It did not come out of, for example, it came out of the creatively. It came out by way of a completely different process than, say, Golden Dawn, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I recorded as a whim. As I was recording something else, I just sort of recorded that chord progression as a whim. I said, "Oh, this sounds pretty. Let me just." get this down onto tape yeah so that's that song came just totally accidentally and then grew from there whereas right. solemn cavern there was a blueprint already installed but there was just a missing building mm. and i just kept pulling my hair oh we need a track for this we need a track for this we got to come up with something how is this going to happen it took it took a little bit of uh swings of the bat but then it finally came out um yeah and that's the track yeah and that's the track and the album, you know, the album, another great work. And uh, and and thanks for, you know, coming aboard the coming aboard the uh, Tones and Drones vessel here, docking in and 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 it is and, uh, it is an absolute pleasure, you know, and uh, we got as always, we got to do this again. We've done this. We got to do this again. I mean, it's just, it's great having Absolutely. you, here, Carlos. It's when great I'm, to talk. Yeah. It, it's technology makes this easy we live in different yeah. parts of the country but we can yeah. both do it i'm i'm always happy to come on board jason this is it's always it's always a uh an inspiring ride talk talking to you about the creative process oh likewise thanks for being here again and please return oh yes absolutely all right well have a good one And thanks again to Carlos for being on Tones and Drones again. Appreciate that very much. And you can visit his website, carlosdingler.com, and find his music and other information about him there. And again, the album is called Private Earth. And we're closing with the selection from the album called Solemn Cave. You can find Tones and Drones on the major podcast platforms, also on the free NPR One app. 
You can listen to the radio version in which I play entire works by the artists that are on the podcast called Tones and Drones Radio, which airs on 91.3 FM KVLU and KVLU.org Sundays at 10 p.m. Central Time. I'm Jason Miller. As always, thanks for listening and may music bring you peace and joy. Thank mm-hmm. you.